Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Buku Podcast, episode 284. This time around, you're joined by actor and filmmaker Molly C. Quinn. Her new film, Agnes, is available everywhere now. She takes you on a journey through this remarkably original take on demonic possession, filled with haunting and disturbing imagery and unforgettable performances. Hear about the challenges and rewards of bringing her character, Mary, to life. Explore Molly's obsession with the horror genre and what that means for her production company, Quagmire. She checks you into the Overlook Hotel with stories of her time on Dr. Sleep. The fiercely fun Hansel and Gretel get baked and so much more. Grab your rosary. Episode 284 with Molly Quinn starts now. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I thought you were supposed to be the expert. I keep asking for God to guide me and I hear nothing back. You have to bury the dead, Mary. It has to be. It's an exorcism. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a captivating and talented storyteller and filmmaker with a lot of things to say in a very unique and powerful way. You can find her wrapped in characters on a journey swimming in the poetry of emotions where she consistently finds that place to disarm an audience just enough to pull us into that journey with her. A gifted voiceover artist celebrated for her work on Nickelodeon's award-winning Winx Club and Disney's A Christmas Carol with Robert Zemeckis before gracing the screen herself in the role of Alexis for all eight seasons of ABC's multi-Emmy-winning Castle. What a dream career she forged for herself while building a virtual fun house for those who are lucky enough to see it unfold, instilling a commanding presence in pop culture and surrounding herself with the most inventive minds in cinema. Her passion has certainly been her guiding light. You can see it in the zest and fervor she imbues into her performances. She was Supergirl for DC, showed up in the Oscar-nominated Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and took part in Mike Flanagan's beautiful Dr. Sleep. She starred and produced several other feature films along the way, winning four awards herself and crafting her very own entity, Quagmire, that exists as an open resource and melting pot for unique genre stories and talent, a safe space and creative wonderland to nurture and push the boundaries of new and exciting ideas. One of these ideas comes in the form of a remarkable film called Agnes. A time of release is available to experience in theaters and on demand December 10th. We are honored to welcome its producer and star, the incredible Molly C. Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thank you guys. That, um, you know, you get so caught up in, um, in the day to day that you can forget everything that came before it. So that was, <laughs> That was really nice. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thanks for taking time to join us today. And congrats on the release of this incredible film. We want to start at the beginning with you. We know you're a huge horror fan, as we are, too. 
Talk about your discovery of the horror genre. Do you remember the first time it put you under its spell? Oh my gosh, I sure do. For me, it was the Jason franchise, um, which uh, the first time my friends and I rented it uh, because the the friend who was throwing the sleepover it was um her stepmom who let us rent whatever we wanted because she was you know trying to be cool with her daughter <laughs> uh and the first time we watched it we, we rented all of them and we watched the first one and uh all my friends you know got really scared and kind of went away and this is going to sound a little crazy but the first thing i was really attracted to was all the nudity uh, I, at the time was probably not quite ready to realize I was bisexual, but it was a huge gateway into realizing kind of, you know, things about myself that I wasn't fully able to, um, talk about yet, especially being in a small town, you know, Texarkana, Texas. And then I just really fell in love with the journey of horror and couldn't get enough after watching the jason franchise i moved on to original fright night uh which i absolutely loved i remember the colors in fright night more than anything else and then komodo that was another big moment uh <laughs> all those good you know campy kind of horror films uh and then you you start kind of finding the art of horror you know i think another big point was when the babadook came out and realizing how layered you could tell stories uh in horror and i think that's what really started making me percolate on what kind of stories i would want to tell in the genre and what you know kind of company i could eventually start and when I met Alon Gale, who is uh, my fiance and also one of my producing partners, we really like our first dates were all horror movies. Like he showed me The Possession. I showed him Possum. Uh, and uh, oh, my gosh. And uh, Goodnight Mommy. That was a big one for us. And when we, you know, just kind of kept talking about our, our love for horror and uh, brought our friend Matthew Welty kind of into the, uh, the horror club with us. He was the one who was like, why don't we actually try this? You know, we can put some money together. Let's look at some scripts and, you know, make a horror movie. And when that kind of opportunity comes up, you just say, yes, you know, you, you figure it out. Yeah. So that's kind of, how everything started it's it's been a lifelong passion really in a in a path to you know entertainment but also self-discovery yeah oh that's fascinating would you say there's a collective of maybe i don't know four horror films that you would kind of see as your tentpole films things that closely define the experience of the genre for you in your mind wow tentpole for me Okay, let's think. Uh, definitely Babadook. Really intrigued from the, the female perspective uh, of that film. Uh, everything to how it was shot. The, the hidden and plain daylight scares. The, the creepiness of that. So that's definitely one for me. Um, the, the Conjuring. Uh, how entertaining 
and terrifying uh, that movie was. I've, I've probably, I've probably seen it 10 times. Absolutely love it. Let's see. I got two more here. Uh, I think one that more defines what I really like about horror now is Lamb. I I love Lamb. I love the end of Lamb, how it's really a creature horror film. I was really into that. And then there's probably a split, both Ari Aster films between Hereditary and Midsummer. Uh, I love what he's done for the genre. And it's it's funny because as I'm thinking about these movies, especially Midsummer, so like Midsummer, Lamb, Babadook, and Conjuring have a lot of daytime scares. So I think there's something that I really that I really like about that. I think there's something I find almost scarier about that because at night we're kind of prepared for it. You know, uh, you expect something to go wrong, but the daylight is supposed to be safe. Uh, so when you take that safety away, it kind of gives your stomach that extra sensation of, you know, dropping. Have you seen the Nightingale that Jennifer Kent made who made the Duck? I sure have. I sure that have. That movie is so intense. Yeah. Like so scary on such a different level. Yes. Yes. Uh, terrifying. So sad. You know, it, it, it's, it's not a movie that uh, I say, oh, yeah, you got to watch it. You got to watch this one. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's something that more in like private conversations. I'm like, after I know someone well enough, I'm like, you know, maybe maybe you'd like this, but make sure you're you're in the the right space for it. Yeah, talk about a journey. You got to be a part of Mike Flanagan's masterpiece, Doctor Sleep, as Mrs. Grady, which put you not only as a ghost, but you got to be on that stunning recreation of that Overlook Hotel set. Just talk a little bit about the opportunity of getting a chance to work with Mike, see him weave his magic on set and how that has affected you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I love Mike uh, and I love Kate. Alan and I had watched Hush and really fallen in love with it and looked up Mike and looked up Kate and started basically stalking them on Twitter, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which is how we became really good friends. Uh, they, uh, you know, took a chance on, on, on us and I hope did some, some background checks, but eventually <laughs> we all started hanging out and, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been kind of an amazing journey, you know, in, in two ways in, in watching their work together and, and what they've made. I remember being at their house and watching Gerald's game before it had come out and listening to Mike talk about making that movie and and the choices he made for, for longevity. You know, he was already thinking, you know, five movies down the road and, and what he wanted to accomplish. And, and personally as an artist, I really connected to that because that's how I look at things too. I, I don't, necessarily focus on what I've done in the past. I try to think like what this is in the moment, but how it can affect what happens later in the art, you know, we're able to make later. And, you know, I, I had uh, auditioned for uh, the haunting of Hill house. So like I, I knew him through, through that process. And then uh, when Dr. Sleep was coming up, 
I basically, I texted him and I was like, look, I really want to be in the movie. Is there anything that I can do? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on down. You, you can be a ghost. You can be Mrs. Grady. But you talk about just an incredible experience, an incredible 48 hours, you know, just getting to be in the remade Overlook Hotel, you know, getting to just awe at that set and at the cameras he had set up. And, and then, of course, you know, getting to, to put on the costume and be there and watch Ewan McGregor and uh, Rebecca Ferguson, you know, do, do their incredible work. <laughs> when, we, when we all kind of swarm over uh, Ewan McGregor, like, like we're, you know, going to eat him. After the first take, I kind of ended up directly on top of Ewan. And um, we got up and he was like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I hope, you know, you weren't crushed. <laughs> and I said, oh, it was my pleasure. I was, like, it was <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. You creepy, creepy woman. Uh, <laughs> and you were right in there with Rebecca. I mean, your yes. hand was on her head, right? Yeah, yeah your yeah, hand was on yeah. her head the whole time. Oh, my God. What cool people. What an incredible experience. And, and I don't know if, if you guys know this, but um, Alan, who is also a writer, he wrote on Midnight Mass. So getting to, you know, hear about things that were happening in the writer's room from Alan's perspective and from Mike's and from Kate's uh, and seeing that entire project, you know, come to life. Mm. I mean, it's it's probably my favorite thing that I've watched in, in 2021. You know, like oh, I, I, I watched it, yeah, and then rewatched it again and got a completely different perspective on the story. I think I cried more watching it the second time than I did the first time. You know, it just um, talk about just beautiful horror and every character is so layered. It's really just it's the shining light. You know, you hope that you can make something that is nearly as good as, as midnight mass. This is now turning into the episode where we just fangirl. Right, exactly. Mike <laughs> and, and hey, it's always, you always need a little bit. Of that. <laughs> just, yeah. you just love them and feel so lucky that, that we get to know them and, and talk with them and hear what they're going through. Um, it's yeah, it's, they're incredible people. I'm a, uh, I'm really grateful for their friendship and their, you know, mentorship in a lot of ways. Kate is someone I really look up to as an actor and as a writer, knowing that she wrote Hush and that she wrote it because she felt like no one could hear her at that point in her life. And this is how she told that story through horror. That was a huge part of what made me feel like I could tell deeper, more personal stories through horror. Now I feel like we could talk to you for like two hours here. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into Agnes right now. We'd love to. Yes. Get, I mean, gosh! But before we get into it, I just got to say, Hansel and Gretel get baked <laughs> is is one of our personal faves as well. We could do a whole episode of, on that alone. But everyone oh who's listening, God. go see it. It's the first. It's not only she stars in it, but also one of the first movies she uh, produced, which is incredible. Oh my gosh! But, you know they gave me a producing credit because I just wouldn't leave anyone alone. <laughs> I was so precocious. I was like, "How do you do this? And what's this like? And I feel like this character should wear this kind of outfit." And they were so kind, you know, th to think that back then they could have so easily swatted me away 
And instead we're like, yeah, sure. That is some good insight. That is some good, um, a good idea for this scene. It, it, again, you know, just having those mentors, having those people at each step of the way who just said, yeah, keep going. You know, I'm really lucky that I didn't have a lot of people saying, oh, you're, you're just a kid. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Go, you get, you belong over here. I didn't, I didn't have really any of that in entertainment. I had a lot of that in my personal life, my, my, my family life, but not, not in my work life at all. So I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm really lucky. The Boo Crew will be right back. How could anyone guess that Daniela was reliving the legend of the wolf woman? She is every man's dream of love until she becomes possessed with an evil that turns her life into a bloody and terrifying nightmare that never ends. Now, at last, you can see a true story so brutal, so horrifying, that it was kept from the public for over a century. The legend of the wolf woman. Before your very eyes, the wolf woman is born in an act of reincarnation that is as sensual, as violent, as bloody as anything you will ever see on the motion picture screen. The demented passions in The Legend of the Wolf Woman will eat you up. From Dimension Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. On that note, Agnes, right? Our gateway into what becomes a much bigger story is a priest and a seminarian are set to investigate an alleged case of demonic possession at a convent. But it takes that hook, it makes us swallow it, and then gestates in the soul of each viewer where it becomes a different movie and journey for each person who sees it. I really believe that. It is very refreshing in that way. Describe the excitement that you and the Quagmire Collective had when you read Mickey and John's script and what you loved about the opportunity to bring this to life. Thank you. I, I also see it as a, as a journey film. So I'm, I'm really glad you, you uh, viewed it that way as well. Um, the first time I read the script, I was really intrigued by the, uh, by the shift in the middle. Uh, and, and I wasn't, turned away by that at all. I just wanted to know how did Mary deal with, you know, her, her personal demons, but also watching someone that, that she loved watching Agnes be so destroyed by this demon. And, and then when we, when we watched climate of the hunter, all the pieces started to fall into place because I could see the world. I could see how Mickey would want to film this and how uh, Samuel Calvin RDP would, would shoot it. And when we talked with Mickey, we were all on the same page and it was, it was pretty easy after that. Alan Matthew and I self-funded it. You know, we started talking about it fall of 2019. We shot it January, 2020 in Oklahoma city. And it was, uh, I think the most exciting thing was thinking about all the actors that, that Alan and I knew that we wanted to bring in as an actor and as a producer, the films I like to act in and to watch are ensemble casts, you know, where everyone has um, something really 
needy to do. And this script was the perfect opportunity for that. And so quite selfishly, I got to think like, okay, we're friends with Chris Sullivan. I love him. I love all the work he's ever done. I wonder if he's available to, to come and, and do this with us, if he'll respond to Curly. And, and he did, but he only had, he literally had a day. He, he had one day off and he flew to Oklahoma. We shot all of his and my scenes in, in one day. And by one day, I mean, 12 hours, you know, we, we had one day to get and, and, and in doing that way, it was like shooting a short film. You know, we just had this very concentrated time and, uh, and it, it was, it was one of the best days of my life, quite honestly. Yeah, exorcisms are in the news again today. Just this morning, another case in Italy made the news as a woman attacked the priest in church. Uh, as an actor and producer on the film, did you get to research or talk to church experts on the right of exorcism or discuss actual cases? Oh, that's fascinating. I, I mean, good, good for her. I'm sure she had a, a very good reason for, for her attack. I'm, I'm kind of pro demonic possession because I think what it is is bottled up emotion that needs an outlet uh, and then kind of explodes. I more spent time on what it would be like to like what got Mary into the convent. So not so much the religious aspect of it, but for me, the greatest joy in Mary's life was having her son and, and what would it be like to, to be a mom, to have that happen, you know, without planning, but then to find all this love and joy in it and then to have it be taken away. You know, what would, what does that do to a person? How do you, how do you cope with that? How do you handle it? So I spent a lot of time researching and, reading literature, you know, like, um, what to expect when you're expecting and other pregnancy books. Cause I wanted, I wanted to know what that, what that weight, what that emotional weight felt like, because I think Mary's journey is really about that loss and how she is not ready to let it go. The voice of the camera is breathtaking in this film. There's some great shots, the one of the convent through the spider web near the beginning or the way that it'll randomly cut to an iconic and really powerful image of all the nuns just posing in front of the convent for a, a split second. Or you guys holding candles as uh, Father Donahue you know, walks in to do that first exorcism. These, these really powerful images. How important is it to you to not only have a terrific story, but to elevate that experience through unforgettable imagery? Well, that's the point of making a movie, right? You, you can write a book and have people's imagination, you know, take over the, the imagery. But I think the power of cinema is really having this extra tool outside of the script to, to fully show what you're trying to get across, you know, and in all those tableaus, that's exactly what we wanted them to be. We wanted them to be powerful. We wanted them to kind of sear themselves onto uh, the viewer's brain in all their ridiculousness, because uh, there is something kind of silly and laughable about people who believe that 
uh, this faith that, that this God is on their side and they're going to go through and they're going to, they're going to, these powerful men are going to save this young woman. They're going to, you know, take this demon out of her. But in truth, they're not paying attention to the girl at all. They're not even really there to help her. They, they're, they're there because they think they know what to do, but they don't. And so we were, you know, kind of mocking those who think that um, religion is enough to to save themselves. In what ways did bringing Mary to life push and change you as an actor? Uh, in every way. Uh, I really... <laughs> I really gave everything I had in in playing Mary. And I think some incredible things that kind of happened was because you, know, you can do all the all the prep that you want, but then when you when you get on set and you're dealing with uh the little things that arise on the day, like that's that's where things get tough. And there were really interesting times where I felt completely out of control, but fully immersed in the character. You know, there, there's the moment where we're um, showing Mary's descent into madness, uh, where she's, you know, checking, like putting price tags on at the, at the grocery store. We show her at her second job with the laundromat and she's folding clothes. And in the script, that's all that was written. She was just folding clothes. And I was sitting there and I, I, I took the towel and I put it over my face and I just, I started hitting myself because it just, I, I almost felt possessed <laughs> in the moment to start doing that, but possessed by a past memory that I had very much buried, which was when I was younger and I felt completely out of control, which was a lot. I would, that's what I would do. I would go in a bathroom and I would hit myself. I would do anything um, because I was so young to, to try to tire myself out, I guess, you know? Uh, And it just came up in that moment, this thing I'd completely forgotten, but the just felt like the thing that either Mary would be doing or this demon would be making her do. And that was just one instant of, <laughs> I can't even call it preparing Mary because it just, it happened in the moment. I think I was, um, I think I was truly, I gave myself over to her is maybe the best way to put it. And, and afterwards I talked to my, my, my acting teacher, I talked to my therapist and I was like, I really don't know what to do. Um, things happened that I was not prepared for. And I don't know how I move on from this. And I thought I could bottle it. I thought I could find a way um, because I liked the result. I thought I could find a way to, to make all my work, you know, better through the experience. But what I've come to realize is that's, that's not the way to look at this. It was very specific to playing Mary. And if anything, I think it gave me more of a, a trust in myself to, you don't have to know why that came up, but it did. And it was right for the character and you're okay. You know, at some point you have to, you have to walk away, but that's kind of the double-edged sword of being an actor. You know, you're, 
I became an actor because obviously I wanted to get away from myself and my own kind of personal life. And, and now I still use those things. So I wouldn't say it's a healthy medium, but I would hope that by telling these stories and by giving so much of my past life and all the preparation into Mary that someone else can connect with her and can know that they're, that they're not alone. And yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, that vulnerability, especially in that scene is what connects us to you and into this role. And speaking on that, we're huge Sean Gunn fans like everyone else in the world, right? He's forever Kirk to us and one of the greatest shows of all time. Gilmore Girls. We're not afraid to admit it. (laughs) So he plays a stand-up comic and he delivers a very interesting routine that is embedded with a lot of poignant stuff. And it reinforces exactly what you just said, that notion of connection. It literally lights Mary up in that Mm -hmm. scene. As soon as he starts talking about connection, a light hits her face. She lights up. I think it's also fascinating that when Agnes is at her lowest, the cross on the wall of her room is upside down. But when Agnes spends that moment alone with Mary, it's right side up. (laughs) Talk about Mary's yearning to connect. Isn't that what... Isn't that what we all share? You know, we, we all want someone to connect with we we want someone to to see us as an individual and and listen to us and and i think mary is is so desperate for that because she had the world you know she had all the love she could possibly have in in her relationship with her son and to to have that kind of joy taken away i think she 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 wants it back so badly that she is willing to listen to a demon that she is willing to i mean chase after her best friend's man and and start a relationship with him because she she's so empty and she just wants to be filled again, but you, you, you can't, you can't just get it that quickly. If, if you haven't done the work to heal yourself, you know, she does need to move on in order to step into her new life. But instead of doing that, she's, she's trying to fill herself up with, with empty calories, you know, and gosh, I just think that's such a, a universal thing that, that we can all connect with. Listen, we're coming to the end of our time, unfortunately. What else can we see you in coming up, Molly? We got to see in more stuff. You know, I, I can tell you that uh, as a producer, we are in uh, really early stages of post-production on our film, Lovely, Dark and Deep, uh, that we shot deep in the woods in Portugal uh, earlier this year. Yeah, it was really, really fun. Uh, And that one is about a park ranger who is on her first solo expedition, kind of uh, traversing the backcountry trails of a national forest. And while she's alone, you start to wonder if, you know, isolation is making her see things or if there's really something in the woods that is tormenting her. So 
really excited for that movie to come out. It's um, written and directed by Teresa Sutherland, who wrote The Wind. Uh, and this is her directorial debut. So uh, I'm a real champion for her. And I'm excited for that movie to come out and people to see it. Oh, very cool. We are stoked for that as well. That is so fun. We're so excited that you're out there making this stuff. I mean, this whole quagmire thing is just brilliant. We're so stoked. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. It means a lot. You know, we're just, we, we love horror and we're just trying to, you know, find different angles to tell familiar stories from. Molly, again, thank you so much for uh, helping to bring the experience of Agnes to us and for giving us something that truly stands on its own in the genre space. We really appreciate it so much. Thanks, guys. This was fun. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 284. Special thanks to our guest, Molly C. Quinn. Follow her at Molly Caitlin Quinn on Instagram. At time of release, experience Agnes, available everywhere now. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boot Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.